Chapter 3 Riddles in the Desert Dipple had no time to think about what new dangers may lie ahead before he found himself face down in the sand. After the snow at Stonehenge, this new place seemed unbearably hot. Gats, Dipple thought. First my robes aren't warm enough, and now they're too warm. Dipple, I thought you were lost. Where are you? Why haven't you come back home? Drop the ring, Dipple mumbled. You what? I dropped the ring. Dipple! It's not that easy to hold on to things in time, you know, Dipple replied defensively. And I didn't exactly have time to put it in a pocket. Couldn't you have slipped it on your finger? Oh, uh... Hearing a noise, Dipple looked up to see a giant stone lion with the head of a woman gazing down at him. That would not have been so bad if the lion woman had not opened her mouth to speak. Are you responsible for this? She flicked a tufted lion's tail that was surprisingly flexible for something made of stone towards her face to indicate a squashed, half-eaten sandwich stuck to her nose. Uh, there isn't a ring caught up in that by any chance, is there? asked Dipple. I should eat you without mercy for this insult, wizard. But I will give you a chance. If you can answer my riddle, I will let you go. Are you getting this, Bernie? Dipple muttered. I warn you, the lion woman said. The first words you speak after I say my riddle shall be your answer. Right, said Dipple, snapping his lips tight. Dipple, I've traced you. You're in ancient Egypt. That must be a sphinx you're talking to. Dipple had figured that much out for himself, though, by its nature, this sphinx seemed more like the malevolent Greek cousin of the gentler sphinxes that were supposed to inhabit ancient Egypt. Don't worry, Bernie continued. I can find the answer to any riddle on my factopedia. Dipple, though, was confident he could deal with this one on his own. He was pretty good at riddles. What creature is it that has one voice, yet in the morning goes upon four feet, upon two feet in the afternoon, and in the evening upon three? A classic Sphinx riddle, Dipple thought, smiling to himself and pausing for dramatic effect before giving the simple answer. Man, Bernie yelled in his ear. Man, Dipple said at the same time, or in my time, man and woman though I have my suspicions that women are not really the same species. Dipple! Uh, anyway, the answer is man, who crawls on all fours as a baby, then walks on two feet as an adult, and then uses a walking stick in old age. You cheat! the sphinx roared. I hear the voice that speaks in your ear. Nope, said Dipple. Well, yes, there is a voice, but I deciphered your riddle myself. Very well, the sphinx said, though she did not look pleased. You may go now, if you so choose. Or, she added with a funny sort of smile, you may remain to answer a second riddle. Answer correctly, and I will answer one question for you. Fail to answer, and I will eat you. Just go, Dipple, it's too dangerous. She could ask you anything. Don't worry, my dear. There are rules to riddling. Uh, just checking the terms, 
Dipple said to the Sphinx. If I answer your riddle correctly, you will answer any question I ask? It doesn't have to be a riddle? The Sphinx nodded. And the questions I am asking now don't count? Dipple added as an afterthought. Despite being bound by the rules of riddling, Sphinxes were known for being crafty. The Sphinx looked annoyed, but nodded again. Right, well, as I do happen to have a question for you, I believe I will accept your challenge of a second riddle. Ready when you are. Are you sure about this, Dipple? Very well, the Sphinx said again, her expression thoughtful. It was probably only a few moments, but Dipple was starting to squirm by the time she spoke again. What manner of riddle could she be cooking up in that stony head of hers? Then he started wondering what it felt like to be eaten by a statue. His body was already drenched with sweat from the sweltering air around him. Now that sweat turned cold with nervous anticipation. At last the Sphinx spoke. Alive without breath, as cold as death, never thirsty, ever drinking, all in mail, never clinking. Dipple almost laughed when he heard the question. He thought of his favourite tome, written by the greatest wizard of his own time, Tolkien, describing a quest involving another ring as it happened. Fish, he cried, wondering what a stone creature in the desert could know of such things. The Sphinx looked furious. Answer another riddle and I will answer two questions for you, she offered. Uh, no, I don't think so. Very well, ask your question, she said sulkily. Right. Dipple thought for a moment, trying to make his question as clear as possible. Where is the ring I came here to find? He said at last. Follow that road and you will come to a place where the ring can be found. Dipple bowed. Thank you, he said. He paused. Uh, which way? he asked. That, the Sphinx said smugly, is another question. Vomiting vampires, Dipple cursed. Linger too long in my presence, wizard, and the temporary freedom you have won will be revoked, the Sphinx warned. If you tell me which way, I'll get that sandwich off your nose for you, Dipple offered. This you should do for nothing. Probably, but, as my wife will tell you, I've never been good at getting around to cleaning jobs. I will agree to your bargain. Right, uh, I assume it's okay for me to climb up on you to reach it? The Sphinx nodded. And you won't eat me? He added, beginning to haul himself up her stony torso. Do not test me, wizard, the Sphinx growled. Ah, that feels better, the Sphinx sighed a few minutes later as Dipple applied his precision polishing potion to her now sandwich-free nose. Dipple slid down her shoulder and dropped to the ground. Uh, you were going to tell me the way, he prompted, stuffing his spare underwear and the precision polishing potion back into a pocket in his robes. That way, the Sphinx said sleepily, pointing with her tail. Towards that pyramid. Would you consider giving the rest of me a polish before you go? If I had a few years to spare, 
Dipple thought. Sorry, uh, in a bit of a hurry, he said out loud. Pity, the Sphinx said drowsily. Handy to know, Dipple thought. A bit of polish and the Sphinx turns into a big pussycat. Beware the masked one, the Sphinx let slip as he was about to turn away. Uh, the masked one? But the Sphinx was fast asleep, and Dipple did not dare wake her. How on earth did you know those answers, Dipple? Bernie asked as he made his way to the road. I read. But you read rubbish, fairy stories and myths. You never know when something you've read might come in handy. Besides, one of those myths just had a conversation with me. Bernie was silent a moment, then she spoke again. I have a question for you, Dipple, she said a little too sweetly. Uh-oh, he thought. Tell me about this ring. Uh, oh, what's this? Dipple! No, really, I see... Just up ahead, Dipple had spotted a point where a second road, coming from the east, fed into the road he was walking on. From a short way back along the second road, a large group of people was making its way towards the intersection. Some sort of funeral procession, I think. Dipple made it to the corner in time to watch the procession go by. The deceased must have been a fairly important lord, because the mummy was encased in a wooden sarcophagus, painted in gilded colours to represent the finery of his former life, and the group of people accompanying the sarcophagus included a number of barefooted slaves, dressed in loincloths and simple strapped dresses of coarse linen, along with several priests in more robe-like tunics of finer linen. Surrounding the sarcophagus were a number of nobles dressed in still finer linens, embroidered in coloured threads, adorned with jewellery of gold, silver and gemstones, and wearing papyrus sandals on their feet. At either end of the coffin, a woman with her head covered sang a lament to mourn the Lord. The whole scene was most splendid, but Dibble's eyes were drawn to the sarcophagus carved in the likeness of the Lord who was to be buried. A wooden scepter lay along the top of the carven body, clasped in the wooden hands. Painted on the scepter was a round gold band encircling a blue stone at the centre of an image painted in the shape of an eye, a symbol intended to ward off evil. I've found the ring, Dipple muttered to Bernie. The real ring would be embedded in the real scepter held by the mummy inside the sarcophagus, which meant Dipple needed to follow that coffin. He fell into step beside a chap of about his own age. The man was dressed in a robe-like tunic like those of the priests, but he was wandering along looking extremely put upon, more like one of the slaves. Married, then. Dipple thought with a grim smile. You look a bit peaky, the man said after a glance at Dipple. Here, try this. My fellow physicians use it a lot. It can ease the symptoms of over 200 different ailments, though alas, not my current one. Dipple took a sip. Wow, I really do feel better, he said. Is this beer? Yep. So you could argue that beer is medicinal then? Definitely. Don't bother trying that one on me, Dipple, Bernie interrupted. Oh, here we go, thought Dipple. Just because some mad doctors from three and a half thousand years ago think beer is a cure-all doesn't mean you can call it medicine in our time. So, you were this lord's physician? Dipple asked loudly, 
hoping to drown out the tirade that always followed any mention of Bear in Bernie's hearing. His private physician, the doctor replied gloomily. Knew I should have gone into general practice, but my wife insisted I go for a more lucrative position. Couldn't even be a family physician, he grumbled. Oh no, had to be a personal physician. The pay was better, for obvious reasons. You mean... You have to accompany your lord into the afterlife? The man nodded. No doubt the extra gold will keep my wife better company in her old age than I could have. Scientific evidence shows that beer is not that good for you, Dipple, especially the amounts you and those wastrels you call friends drink. My friends are not wastrels. Oh, what? said the doctor. Uh, just seems a waste, that's all. Man of your talents having to die so young. Death is merely another beginning, the doctor intoned, sounding like he was reciting lines he'd been forced to learn. One without a nagging wife with any luck, he added with more spirit. Listen, said Dipple companionably, I need to get hold of the ring that's embedded in your lord's scepter. Only one way to do that, the doctor replied. If you're saying what I think you're saying, said Dipple, it would rather defeat the purpose. You're probably right. They seal those tombs up pretty tight once everything is inside. So even if you were still alive when they sealed it, there would be no way to get out again. Hmm, thought Dipple. I don't need a way out as long as I'm alive when they seal the tomb. I could take your place, he offered. But the doctor looked confused. I think I know a way out, Dipple explained quickly. We look similar, he continued. I can make my robes look like yours. Then you could just slip off. Give your wife a nice surprise when you turn up. Well, I couldn't really just turn up. I'm meant to be dead. You could tell everyone the gods at your weighing of the heart granted you a second life. My wife would never fall for that. On the other hand, he said slowly, I don't necessarily have to go home. So you'll do it then? Um, could you make me look like someone else too, just till I get away from here? Dipple tested his power levels. He was still a long way from the radix. Did he have enough for two disguises? Not once the doctor moved any distance from him, and the other man might need his disguise for a while after they parted. Uh, why don't we just switch robes? Dipple suggested. We could just slip behind that pyramid over there. Dipple, your robes. I can always get new ones, my dear. No, I... What are those? The doctor asked, staring at Dipple's underpants as he lowered Dipple's robe over his own uncovered and therefore not so private parts. Underwear, Dipple explained. Good for holding all your jiggly bits in place. They look terribly restrictive. Talk about restrictive, Dipple grumbled dragging the doctor's linen tunic, which was a somewhat tighter style than his own robes, over his head. Gads, this thing is scratchy. And these are so soft, breathed the physician. But heavy. What have you got in here? Oh, uh, perhaps this wasn't such a good idea. Exactly what I was trying to tell you, Dipple. I carry a lot of useful paraphernalia in my pockets. Let's switch back. Do we have to... Uh, yes, I'm afraid so. 
Right, Dipple said once he was back in his own robes. Plan B. He scrabbled around in his pockets, pulling out a fake beard, a small round container, and a sponge. What do you carry that for? The doctor asked, looking between the fake beard and Dipple's own long, bushy specimen. Accidentally blasted mine off once or twice. Feel naked without a beard. Dipple used the sponge to apply a shimmering white powder to the doctor's face. Make you a little less tanned, he explained. Then he settled the fake beard on the doctor's chin, holding it in place with an elastic cord that ran behind his ears and around the back of his head, hidden beneath his coarse, dark hair. Hmm, Dipple said. That hair's a bit of a giveaway. He felt in his pockets again. From my reggae phase, he said, extracting a wig of silvery dreadlocks to match the beard. Ah, that's better. Dipple took a step back and surveyed the doctor, gesturing with his hand to get the other man to turn around. Looking good. Now, slip these in your eyes. Dipple handed the doctor a pair of green-coloured glass discs. Don't worry, they'll slide right out again when you're done with them. Right, now for my disguise. Inicio dissimulo. Wow, you really do look like me. A few moments later, after watching the doctor scurry off down the road back toward the Sphinx, Dipple emerged from the far side of the pyramid to rejoin the procession as it passed by. It wasn't that long a walk, but the heat made Dipple's feet swell inside his boots, and they were rubbed and blistered by the time the procession entered a valley with high rock walls. The walls were dotted all over with square man-made holes, some sealed with large stones, others open, waiting to be occupied. Following a path cut into the rocky valley wall, the group at last came to an open tomb. After a short ceremony in the entrance to the tomb, the sarcophagus was placed in the position of honour, standing upright against the back wall facing the door. Then, the slaves and one or two other members of the Lord's household, who were to accompany him into the afterlife, were gathered together and the priests began to hand out tiny vials containing a clear liquid that had the deceptive appearance of water. Each slave went to stand at the foot of one of a series of shallow pits that had been carved into the floor ready for them. Here we go, Dipple muttered to Bernie as he followed. Two priests attended each slave as he or she drank the poison, lowering the bodies gently into the pits as the life left them. By the time the priests got to Dipple, he had switched the vial of poison for a vial of sleeping potion he had secreted in one of his pockets. Simulaire mortem, he whispered before swigging back the tiny draught. It was pitch black in the tomb when Dipple awoke, and it took him a moment to remember where he was. Dipple, are you awake yet? Ah, Bernie. He pulled the pendant from beneath his beard and discovered something useful. The screen glowed in the dark, casting a dim green light about him, though only enough to make out vague shadows for anything more than a foot or two away. Right, where's that sarcophagus? Clambering out of his pit, Dipple stumbled into a pile of provisions that had been stacked in the tomb for the Lord to use in the next life, stubbing his booted toe on a heavy barrel. Ouch! Oh. Ooh! More beer, he said. Keep moving, Dipple. Well, really, I had no intention. Although, a snack wouldn't hurt. I haven't eaten since polishing off that sandwich I unstuck from the Sphinx's nose. Ah, here we are. A loaf of bread. Dipple, as soon as you get that ring, you can come home and eat whatever you want. 
On my way now, dear. What? Dipple gulped his mouthful. Oh, on my way down, my dear, he said, stuffing another handful of the slightly stale but tasty bread into his mouth, shoving the remainder of the loaf into a spare pocket as he went, just in case. At last, after bruising his other big toe on the leg of a heavy table and scratching his arm on the hilt of a spear, Dipple found his way to the sarcophagus. Dipple had not realised how large the thing was until he saw it towering above him. There was no way he would be strong enough to lower it to the ground. He'd have to open it in its upright position. I just hope the mummy doesn't tumble out on top of me, he said to Bernie. Now, how is this thing held closed? Dipple felt his way up either side of the sarcophagus, at last finding an oddly shaped shallow hole about halfway up the left side. I need to find something to fit into the hole to unlock the coffin, he explained to Bernie. The key must be in here somewhere. Dipple shuffled about the tomb, holding his pendant up high and gazing around him. None of the weapons have big enough hilts or shafts to be the right shape, and I can't see anything else that might fit. Oh, of course. With a sudden thought, Dipple turned back to the sarcophagus. He ran his hand over the bottom of the wooden scepter. It was carved with a raised image that matched the hole he had found. What is it, Dipple? The Lord's duplicate staff. That's the key. Dipple gripped the scepter, placing his own hands either side of the wooden hands that grasped it, and pulled, and tugged, and heaved, and jerked. Dipple! A moment, my dear! Dipple gasped. When at last the staff came away, Dipple was yanking so hard he crashed backwards into a pile of pottery jars, which shattered about him spilling various foodstuffs all over the floor. Dipple? I'm okay, Dipple mumbled, stuffing a handful of olives into his mouth. He scrambled to his feet and fitted the staff awkwardly into the hole in the side of the sarcophagus, ramming it firmly in place before twisting it sideways. The front of the sarcophagus sprang open. Dipple stepped back hastily when a linen-wrapped arm reached out as if to grab him. He held his breath for a moment, but the mummy had not come back to life. The arm, which had been arranged to hold the Lord's scepter, had simply come loose in transit. I'm in, he told Bernie, dragging a chair over so he could reach the part of the scepter where the ring was embedded. He scrabbled at it with his fingers for a moment before deciding that was not going to work. Need something to lever the ring out with. Ah, here we are. Drawing a ceremonial dagger from the pile of weaponry stacked nearby, Dipple climbed back onto the chair and began to prise the ring from the scepter. The blue gemstone popped out and dropped to the floor as the ring suddenly came free. Dipple just had time to slip the ring on his finger before the stony walls of the tomb dissolved into the blurred borderlessness of time. Once again he pictured Bernie and his lab, and for a second he almost thought he saw them. Maybe oils from the embalming process had seeped into the scepter, making the ring slippery. Whatever the reason, Dipple, intent on the buffeting barrage all about him, did not notice the ring move until it had reached the tip of his finger. He closed his fist an instant after the ring glided away. Not again, he groaned as once more he felt his body being dragged along in its wake. Thanks for listening to this chapter of The Adventures of Dipple. 
If you're enjoying the story, you can support Josie by following one of the links in the podcast description.